I want to get into God's word this morning and speak to you, hopefully something encouraging, something admonishing at the same time as we see the travailing times, the difficult times that we are facing uh, in our world today. I've simply titled this message, Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Focus your eyes on the Lord. I, I believe that this will be a timely message as it should be for all of us because of everything that we are going through in our world today. Uh, we should remember the words of Isaiah in chapter 55 when he says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. I, I tell you, the Word of God tells us that there will be a time where, uh, such a time where there will be a famine of God's Word and of His presence. In that moment, people are going to be searching back and forth, trying to find someone who will share with them the words of life. And there will be not. And so I pray today that all of us are glad to be in the house of the Lord, listening to the, and taking opportunity of this time to listen and to receive God's word. Colossians chapter 3. As you find it, put your hand over your heart. As we pray, Father, we pray in Jesus' name, Lord, this morning, first of all, that your name be blessed and glorified in everything that we do today. We surrender unto you, Lord. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name for every family represented in this house. Father, we are thankful that you give us the opportunity and the privilege to be in your house and to listen to your word. And now we pray, Father, that you would stable our minds and our hearts, that you would soften, Lord, the planting field of our heart, Father God, that we might understand and receive your word today for life, that you might give us, Lord, a mind that understands your truth and would encourage us, Father, that in this last days, Father, the biggest priority in the life of anyone who trusts in you is to look to you to believe in you, to seek you, to call you, and to walk with you, Father God, till we see you face to face. All these things we ask in Jesus' mighty name, and everyone says, amen. amen. Colossians chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him and glory. Somebody say amen. amen. This is the hope of the church. That when all of this is over, the dust settles after our existence on this planet is done. Our hope, our major hope, it should be that we will be with him in glory. Anybody still waiting to go to heaven one day? Amen. Amen. Anybody really hoping and believing that heaven is going to come one day? The Lord is going to rapture us that we might be with him forever and ever. What is looking above or looking to God mean? First of all, let me just explain a couple of things and realities that I'm sure you'll agree with. 
Every single one of us in this world, in this room, and in the world altogether, every one of us that breathes here, have all been given one thing all the same. There may we speak about different levels in salvation and different levels in knowledge academically. We have people who are really wise at certain things. And we have certain levels and categories of people depending on their personal wisdom and all these things. And we can see that. This is why we have different offices in this world. People hold different offices, some higher in the corporate ladder and some of us lower in the corporate ladder and such a thing like that. But there is one thing we are all equal in, in humanity, and that is that we all have self-will. We all have been given the right to choose. Every single one of us in this place has been given a free will by God. Everybody got the same package. Just like I have choices to make and the opportunity to decide whatever it is that I want to do, I can do because it is my choice. Everything you decide to do on your own, you can do that if you choose to. Now, that's a very awesome thing to receive from God. This is God giving us free will. But I want to get to the meat of our conversation this morning because you know we're going somewhere that's going to challenge our free will. I want to remind us all today that <coughs> though we have a free will, it does not mitigate us or it does not alleviate us from the responsibility by God and from God, it does not release us from the obligation of choosing wisely. It doesn't take us away from the responsibility or the accountability of the choices we make in life. The Bible is clear to tell us that not only have we the ability to choose, but we are also called to choose in all things wisely. We have examples in Scripture. We see the Lord is the one who chose the nation of Israel as His people. Because we are saved today <coughs> does not mean that we first chose God, but that He chose us to be saved. But the Bible says no one can receive this salvation unless He is wooed, unless He is chosen, unless He is brought in by God. So God chooses to do certain things. But as individuals in the nation of Israel, as individuals, you and I here today, all of us are obligated to choose either obedience to God or not. Individuals not only in the holy city, not only in this room, but outside of this room. Everyone has the same measure of choice. And every one of us has the obligation to choose and has the right to either choose one or the other. We need to understand as well that if God wanted some kind of robotic people that every time we walk, woke up in the morning, all he would do was push a button in us and here we go, mechanically do everything God wanted us to do. That's not what God designed us for. He could have simply pushed a button or 
programmed our minds or our hearts or our wills, that very will he gave us, he could have said pre-programmed like they, you, you get software for your computer. He could have installed a, 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 a choosing software that everything this software calls us to do is nothing but what is right before God. But the Bible says that God created us in his likeness. In his likeness. The Bible says in Genesis 1 and 27. So God created mankind in his own image. That is similar in form. A mirror. A shadow. A resemblance. In the image of God he created them. Male and female. He created them. Well that pretty much settles the gender issue doesn't it? Well, people are looking at 3,000 genders or whatever it is that they're doing now. And pronouns. If you want to get to the crux of the matter, look to God. He created us. And he created two, both men and women. But that's another sermon. So the Bible tells us that we created his likeness. And let's clarify something also very important that you hear sometimes. For those of you who watch those televangelists and those prosperity preachers on television, you Sometimes even support more than you do your own church. Some of them will tell you, God created us in his image, so he made us little gods. He made us little gods because we're like him. And so here you have people believing that lie. That we are all little gods. But the fact of the matter is, he simply created us in his image. We have similarities to him. He gave us certain privileges that he has. What is the difference between us and why he is God and we are not? Because he's omnipotent. He is all-powerful and we are not. Why is he God and why are you not God? Because he is all-knowing. And we don't know everything. Why is he God and God alone and we are not? It's because he is omnipresent. He is everywhere And we are here. Why is he God and why are we are not? It's because he is all the authority. And we're not. Because he is creator of all. And we are not. Because he is savior. And we are not. There is quite the distinct difference between us and God, by the way. Somebody needs to tell those preachers. Quite the difference. But he gave us similarities, things that pertain to him. You see, God is a God of choices. Like I said, he chose his people. He chooses what to do. And we've been allowed the gift of free will. Why did he give us that free will? Obviously, in life, there are choices to make every single one of us. Now... Had Adam not messed up in the garden, we would have needed free will because everything was perfect. There was nothing evil at that moment to choose from. But as you and I know today, we live in a fallen world. Even the world is unacquainted, if you will, with God. They have a choice to make. And because we do live in a broken world, there are choices to make you and I. Humanity has a chance to look either to God 
or to the fallen world. We can choose to focus our eyes on what is around us in the world that has fallen away and away from God. Or we can choose to look to Christ. We agree, I trust we do, that this world that we live in has lost its way and has taken its wrong direction, a wrong choice. And by majority, humanity has chosen to look away from God instead of looking to God. While the Lord in His heart desires us to look to Him. To look to Him. Colossians 3.1 says where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. God wants us to look to Him. He's given us the alternative to fix our gaze on either things below. Or to fix our gaze, our eyes to things above. Our eyes are very important. The Bible says that if the eyesight is good, your whole body is good. But if they are bad, the whole body is darkened. And so Colossians tells us once again, chapter 3, verse 2, it says, set your eyes on things above, not on things in the earth. Now, Paul is writing this letter. And I begin to look at the reasons why he would write to the church of the Colossians, this particular passage of Scripture and remind them, admonish them to look to Christ. Uh, for anyone who's done a little bit of studying, you'll find that the city of Colossae was a major trade place in Rome. That place was booming in the times of the apostle and the churches it was a great manufacturing city and what they really manufactured and were known for was because of their flocks of, of lamb and sheep and their wool they produced. And they developed this beautiful lilac color, kind of like this, obviously more beautiful. They became famous for it. And it actually was called a, a, a Coliseum color. And that's the kind of the color that kings would use, the royal purple, if you will, the royal lilac that represented so much. And so they became, and the very name, the city was named Colossae because of their manufacturing strength during that time. Now, what happens when a city is booming? When a city is growing economically, when things are happening in the city and people are producing much, People flock to the city. I remember years ago, one of my brothers is a, is a contractor and builder and, and, and a cabinet maker. And he was living in a particular city, but all of a sudden, Houston began to boom years ago now. And the next thing we knew, when we heard of him next, he was living in Houston. He moved to Houston. Why? Because the work was abundant. He would find his prosperity there. He would find a landing place for his business where just work was everywhere. And not only him, but thousands of people began to move to the city of Houston. And in the 80s, Houston grew immensely population-wise in such a short time. Why? Because the world was going there. The city was growing and industry was growing. Economics were a lot better. People were making all kinds of money. But something happens when you have the world go and huddle itself in one particular area. You have people of all kinds. Isn't that right? You have people of all kinds. And not only 
and tradition and culture. But spiritual as well. What do you think is wrong with America today? Why do you think we wrestle? Why do you think we have a church of a different name and a different religion on every corner? Because the population, people move in and they bring their ideals and ideologies and they come in and they begin to plant them. And so the church of the Colossians was right in the middle of that industrious city. But that city, all of a sudden, it began to affect the church and people of all walks and ideas and philosophies and opinions and views begin to touch base with Christians. They begin to talk to people. They begin to go out together, become friends. And all of a sudden, their ideologies and all these things, they begin to converse and share. And the Colossians who were first taught to trust and believe on God and believe in salvation only in Christ and all the gifts, giftings of the Spirit, all these things that Paul had taught them through Scripture were now being threatened. When I read this and I began to prepare this sermon, it, it just, I kind of closed my eyes and just scratched my head. Isn't that what we're going through in this world today? You know, social media <clears throat> is a funny thing, a very powerful thing. The other day I was at a store and I said, you know, all these young people on social media, you, you, I mean, you can forget your purse and your check and your children at the house, but if you forget your phone, if you're in San Antonio and you forgot your phone, you left your baby in the crib, you won't go back for the baby, but you'll go back for your phone. Because in your phone, you're, you're thumbing. You're watching the memes and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and I don't know, whatever else is out there. So much information. I was sitting in a store and I was looking at two elderly couples and I'm, they must have been a good 80 years old. Not that that's old. They're only about five years older than I am if they're 80. <laughs> but I saw them sitting there <clears throat> together talking. And not even talking so much because both of them hunched back. <laughs> thumbing through their phone. Looking at social media. And you know, if you go through social media, something that is being bombarded is your faith in Christ. And depending, of course, what you watch, because the algorithms will identify what you look at, and they'll give you more of that. But I look at all the Christian stuff, and, I, and so it throws me everything as religious. And wow, I have seen some ugly, demonic ideas being push down the throats of those who can't put their phone down. Every single one of us in this house, and I can say that even if we have a three or four year old because even my children have phones. Everybody is getting preached to and spoken to. And for this very reason, or at least one of this very reason being one of the major reasons People lose their sight of Christ because of the junk they hear and they're being told and they're being influenced by. 
I heard a preacher one day, and his church is very small, probably about 20,000 people. There's only one stripper I love. This is the pastor. There's one stripper that I love, one stripper that I give my dollars to. His name is Jesus. He was stripped on the cross. How stupid, ignorant individual. And 20,000 people are sitting there. Ah. I've heard so many things, heresies. But it's all being preached into your mind as you thumb through that universal newspaper we all read. This is what was happening, but they had no Instagram in those days, but they had people. People used to communicate and talk instead of text. And so you have a world coming into a city influencing those who were on a solid rock at the beginning, but they began to fellowship and they began to put their guard down and began to let them in their houses. And all of a sudden, what do you believe in? Well, I, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me, resurrected, and he saved me by his precious blood. I, I believe in the gifts of Really? I don't. I believe that, you know, he, well, and for the sake of being politically correct, you begin to put your guard down and accept their views and philosophies. Without making it any longer, you understand what I'm saying. This is what Paul was dealing with with the church of Colossae. People were being influenced by the inflow of people in that city, that industrial city. It was growing. And people were pushing people aside. And so he screams out. Mind you, at this time, Paul had been evangelizing in Ephesus. And at that moment, because the Roman government was insane in anger against the religious, especially those who preached Christ, anything that came against the, the, the Roman government, anything that, that came against tradition and religion and faith and coming to speak about faith in Christ, it was the enemy of the Roman Empire. And Paul himself had trouble proving to them that he was Roman by birth. So they put them in jail, and it was from jail that he pens this letter as he hears about the church of Colossae. And so he writes these words saying, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? That's not what you were thought. Now, we don't, nobody knows, and they suspect it was Paul that, that established that church, but he was in Ephesus and, and Laodicea and all these areas there evangelizing, so it's not known. It was Paul who instituted or established that church because he tells them later on, though I don't know you or I have not seen you. Or someone from his evangelistical circle went out there. But the point is the church was established and they were taught how to trust in Christ by the full gospel of Jesus. But he hears that now the influence of the enemy was there. And people were beginning to behave like the world their position with Christ was now laxed. It was half-baked. It was lukewarm. And so he writes to them. He said, listen, you need to look to Jesus. You were not taught that way. Colossians chapter 2 verse 1 again, he says, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you. 
and for those of Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have a full, the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may be deceive you by the fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. So then, he writes... Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught the overflowing of thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of the world rather than on Christ. He's challenging the church to wake up. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe that there's a message that the church needs to hear today is the message of waking up. To being sober. To once again come to the rudiments, to the truth, to the established foundation by which we were saved in Christ. And to get away from the ideas and philosophies and viewpoints and opinions that the world is pressing so hard in. You know, anybody know, anybody who's been in church just a little bit, you know the church has changed. Well, that's a good place to say amen. You don't want to be politically wrong. I don't care to be politically correct. It has changed. And people have changed. And our walks with God have changed. And our convictions in the Lord have changed. And our ideas have changed. And our philosophies have changed. Our opinions of scripture have changed. And our view of God has changed in the house. Paul said, look to Christ. He was concerned about false teaching. A serious threat to the Colossians who... These people came to undermine these people and the work of Christ and the sufficiency of salvation only in him. Again, I say to you, it was a very religious time. But it was also a very persecuting time. You may remember the scripture tells us when Paul entered Athens, Greece, he saw all these, uh, uh, all these icons and all these statues and all these uh, murals in the city walls. He said, oh... My brothers, I see that you are very religious. Yeah, people had all kinds of crosses everywhere. All these religious uh, amulets there everywhere. They had even one that said to the unknown God. He said, I see you, you have one to the unknown God. He said, well, it's him I've come to preach to you about. So it was a very religious time. But also it was a very persecuting time. So then... We wonder, what is it that encouraged the embracing of false teaching in the lives of these people? Well, I believe that persecution was one of them. Once the Roman government found out that you were preaching Christ, you were off to jail. Anybody speaking against the Roman government or anything of the traditions that the Roman Empire had of those days to speak of someone as, as small as Christ. That's foolishness. And they would punish you for it. 
And so instead of receiving the punishment, these men, these people, these Christians decided to kind of filter things out and kind of get along. You know who I'm describing here? Our society today. Do you hear it? We just want to get along. Oh, I've been invited to go to pastoral alliances where pastors of all walks and all religions come together for breakfast. Let's just get along. I may be known as the most arrogant or the most ugly man. I don't care. I'm still your pastor for the moment. But you know what? I don't just get along. Not without a conversation. I don't just get along. It wouldn't be right for me to sit in front of somebody and have breakfast with him and know that he's confused concerning the gospel without sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But some of us won't do that. You know why? Because we like to have breakfast with men and people. Some of us have friends at work that you know that they're as confused as can be concerning their faith in Christ. Yet because you want to get along. Otherwise, they'll talk bad about you. They'll ostracize you. You'll be having lunch in the cafeteria by yourself. You'll have to go and find someone else to golf with. Persecution. Persecution will cause anybody to soften things up and, and kind of water things down for the sake of just getting along. And so Paul writes to them and said, listen, you need to remember one thing. That if you're going to be a Christian, you will be persecuted. That being a Christian and a follower of Christ wasn't simply just one of the worldviews of the moment. It wasn't a simple expression of some sort of religious practice. It, it wasn't just a, a, a religious theory that someone picked up just to satisfy their spiritual itch. It was a change of life. It was a commitment, a consuming true way of life that would apply to all spheres of who you are. Did you know that salvation is all-consuming? Yes? Didn't know that. It's all-consuming. Every facet of who you are, you're either saved or you're not. Salvation is all-consuming. We have that truth all the way from the Old Testament and echoed again thousands of years later through the mouth of Jesus himself. Deuteronomy 6 and 4 says, Oh, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be in your hearts. And you would think it stopped there. Well, he's talking about me. No, it's all consuming in every facet of your life. Continue reading. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols. Be noisy about Jesus. As symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Can you imagine walking out like this and saying, I'm a Christian? How do you hide that? You can't look at anybody in the eye without going up to the forehead and going like, oh, you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. 
I wonder how many of us would buy oversized caps too. I'm a Christian. How many of us would walk around town with a brand like this on our forehead? I'm a Christian. No, because I wonder what people will tell me. That you're a Christian. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames. You see, your houses are supposed to be saved too. But what happens to all the rated R movies we have, Pastor? They shouldn't be there in the first place, Christian. Huh? I knew you wouldn't be shouting me down this morning. Put them in the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Even as they walk into your house, know, hey, we're Christians. Paul was trying to tell them, listen, you're going to be persecuted. But this is not just one little simple religious practice. You're not here at Rock of Ages just simply, I hope not, it's because you like me or the music or the pews are nice or the air conditioning. The only way you can get away to a cool place. Or because you need a babysitter to take care of kids in our children's church. I hope you're here because you know you need God. They needed indeed to know that they were created in his image. And since God chose to love us, we must choose to love him completely as well. And not only to keep our eyes on God, but also to keep our minds on things above. Paul instructed these people not only to look at things and keep their eyes where Christ is seated, but also in thought. That means to have understanding, to think or to judge, to direct in mind that we should never allow our minds to run off away from the things of God. You know, one of the biggest battles that you and I will ever face is the battle of the mind. That is an unending war. The moment you go to bed and sometimes even when you're asleep to the moment you wake up, it's a tug of war for your mind. Now, I'm not saying that you wrestle daily on the basis with those ugly, immoral, evil things that are over and beyond uh, despicable to even talk about. And I'm not talking. It doesn't have to be that. It can be a mind filled with discouragement. It could be jealousy and anger. It could be anything that discourages you away from the joy of the Lord. There's always a battle going on in your mind. I don't care if you're worried about your bills or if you're worried about your children. If you're worried about this, as long as it just depletes you of your joy, that's a battle. It challenges you to stay on the up and up knowing that the Lord is your God and he is your keeper. The Bible says of the mind in Romans 8 and chapter 5, uh, chapter 8, verse 5, rather, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Now, here are the consequences. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So you see the seriousness of keeping our minds in check. 
If you don't keep your minds in check, that means you will not please God. That means that you will never agree with God. Furthermore, we have scriptures that tells us that unless your mind is in Christ, you won't even understand the language of God. Paul reminds him of what an unbridled mind away from God can do. Galatians 5 and 21 says that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom. Keeping our minds, especially in this world today, we need to start keeping our minds in the Lord. This is an old battle, ladies and gentlemen. You know what it was that drove Adam and Eve out of the garden? Let me tell you what it was. I'm glad you asked. Somebody changed their mind. The whole story, running out of time, I have so much to say to you. I'm going to finish now. We have Adam and Eve in the garden. You know the whole story. The Lord took from the dust of the earth. He formed a man. He took a rib and gave him somebody to wash dishes. Gave him a suitable helper. He raised them up and he created everything for him. Everything. The garden was heaven on earth right there. And then he woke them up to free will. It's the first thing that God did to the human heart. When he breathed life into him, he woke up his consciousness of self-will. He said, listen, Adam. You see all this stuff around here? Yeah, it's all yours, bud. Enjoy yourself. That girl, she's yours, man. Everything you want is yours. But listen to me. You see it all over there? Yeah. Don't even think about it. Don't touch that. Don't mess with that. Don't touch it. You understand me? Yes. Well, somebody wasn't listening. Thank you, ladies. <laughs> the men should be saying amen. Come on, man. Persecution, right? You're not saying anything because of persecution. And so, no, we, we know the story of how the Lord told him, don't mess with that. Don't make a decision. Don't choose in your mind to go do that because I'm giving you everything, but I'm giving you this option. Do not, I'm telling you, don't do that. That woke him up to the fact that he could if he wanted to, but God said, don't do it. And so then we have the story of the serpent coming in to talk to Eve, and Eve talks to Adam, and Adam to go ahead and, like a good husband, obeys his wife. So the Lord is over here at home relaxing, and then he wakes up. He comes out to the garden to take a walk in the cool of the day as he normally did forever with his man. But he didn't find him. He found him. He heard his voice screaming as he answered when he called out to him from behind some bushes. He said, Adam, what about our morning stroll, brother? Adam. It's the brush. Because what are you doing back there, boy? He goes, I was naked. I knew you were coming. I didn't. 
You say, who told you that? Who told you? Did you do something? Did you choose to do something I told you not to do? Well, like a good husband. She told me to. Oh, really, ma'am? You told this guy to do that? Yeah. You convinced this guy to do that? He goes, yeah, but I didn't do it alone. So who told you? He said, the serpent told me. The serpent told me. And so we understand at least one truth this morning, ladies and gentlemen. That whenever your mind takes off away from doing the will of God, know that it comes from the father of lies. From the serpent. And what the serpent is always trying to do is to convince you to change your mind about being obedient to God. And he will use not only the lustful things of this world, but he'll use the shiny things of this world. He'll use the ugly things of this world, and he'll use the beautiful things of this world to change your mind. All with the effort of disengaging you from looking to Christ. John 8 and 43. Here we have a question asked to some people. Why is my language not clear to you? So I'll tell you why you can't understand my language. Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar <coughs> and the father of lies. This was what's happening to the church of Colossae. They were listening to lies now. They were doing things that God had instructed them at the beginning not to do. But they were convinced by anybody outside of that circle of faith and trust and true salvation to do these things that would offend God. And what happens when you listen to lies, ladies and gentlemen, you don't understand the language of God. You lose the benefit of God's word. You lose the benefit of God's protection. You lose the benefit of all the blessings. The moment Adam's mind was changed, he lost the riches of the garden for his life. It wasn't just a, a simple transaction, the change of a thought. He lost everything. It was a bad gambling point. He put it all on the table and he lost. And we lose every time, ladies and gentlemen, when we allow the devil to fill our hearts with lies and, and, and to change our mind over things and our walk with God. It's okay. Uh, it doesn't say that we shouldn't do that. Oh, I can go there and I'll just go to church anyway. And, and you go on and you on. And all you've done now because of persecution, because of the inflow of people you allow in your life to speak to you. That's why the Bible says that good com a bad company corrupts good character. Because it will convince you away from the truth of God. In this world that we live in today, I speak to the church 
And I plead to the church, clean your ears out and listen to God because there's a lot of lies going on. And you're reading all of it and you're hearing all of it. Your children are hearing it at school. They're being taught at school. They're being convinced. Do you know what's happening in Harvard University right now? All these, because of the Palestinian and the Israeli war, all these rioting going on. And, and your children, our American children, screaming out, death to Israel, death to Israel. Who cares about God? Who cares about this? That even some of the greatest investors in those high, high upper echelon uh, 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 universities have stopped giving They said that this year they're only going to give $1 donation to Harvard. When those guys give billions of dollars to that university. And those guys aren't even Christians, but they fear something. See, you can push around in your life and do things, but all of a sudden the fear of God will come to you when you know that you're pushing God out so far, there is no salvation for you. this happening but when you choose to maintain your mind and your heart and your sight on God it preserves you it gives you understanding it strengthens you it bestows grace over you it makes you faithful and it keeps you away from shame how embarrassing for Adam can you imagine I mean people have done made bad deals in this world that we live in today People have invested in things and lost a lot of money. But it's nothing compared to what Adam lost that day. He lost the gift of the world's beauty, the world and God altogether. Because he had a change of mind. Look to Christ. And there is no excuse for us not to think of Christ. Because if you are a born-again born believer, the Bible says that you've been given the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2 and 16, who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That means we can assess these things. And so let us look to Christ. I'm going to move forward and I'm going to finish this morning. How do we look to Christ? Get rid of your old habits. Get rid of them. Don't let old habits or things become habitual that you know are wrong. Because those are going to keep you from the blessing of God. Learn to put earthly things to death in your life. Don't, don't, don't give them CPR. These things that you know God doesn't appreciate in your life. Don't keep them on life support. Kill them. Kill them. Colossians 3 and 5 says, Therefore for put to death the earthly in you. Some of us have an ICU where we keep our earthly things just barely breathing, but it's alive. You may need him to resurrect one day. Kill him. Kill it. Unplug the machine. Let the earthly in us die. Put away the guilt of past mistakes. Release them. Some of us have been carrying stuff for a long time. But we have a forgiving God. You've been believing a lie that God won't forgive whatever it is that you went through. That's a lie of the devil. 
If you'll give it to the Lord, He'll forgive you, set you right, and bless you today. If you'll just look to Him, train yourself to give God first choice. Ladies and gentlemen, listen, this is very care listen very carefully. This is very important, especially in our time. We live in a world of go-getters in this world. We live in a world where people are looking for prosperity in all facets of life. It's time we learn to put God first again. This is why the pews are empty in our churches. Because I had more important things to do than go to church. I got more important things to chase after than to go to church. I don't have that much time. I can give church just a little bit of my time, but I've got a business. I've got things to do. I've got money to make. I've got places to go. I've got people to meet. I've got things to embrace, things to own, things to conquer. And God has been depreciated. He's no longer important to the businessman. How can you say you're looking to Christ if you can't even find Christ on any sort of level that you're walking in? He's so far below in the attic or in the basement, rather. Learn to value and appreciate Him more. We are a people who drives who our driving force is to get greater things, have a bigger bank account, make more money, be better settled. And no, I'm not saying that these things are bad. Good for you. If success is something you're chasing after, great, do it. It's awesome. God wants us to be successful, but it never, He never wants it to be greater than Him. The Bible tells us, and you know the Scripture, Out of Mark chapter 8, verse 35, or whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. For what good is it for someone to gain the world and yet forfeit his soul? What will one give in exchange for his soul? Can you say you're looking to God? If your God right now is education, you want to have the highest degree. If your God right now is to make the best business deal that's going to make you a million dollars. If right now everything you want to do is all about gaining something else and making people see that you're prosperous. These things are good. It's okay. I'm not knocking that. That's good. Good that you have the facility to start a business, to do this and to make things happen and to sell and to buy. That's a great thing. But oh, my friend, what a tragedy like Adam that day. To know that God has given you all these things and you value that more than you did the voice of God in your life. All of this is what Paul was fighting with and fighting for with the church of Colossae. He was echoing to them what the scripture says to us in Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where none of these things will spoil. Look to God. Look to Christ. In this day that we live in today, ladies and gentlemen, I believe that this message has never been more important to anybody except We need to look to God. He has everything for you. He gave up everything for you. The Bible says that if we look to Him, He will keep us in perfect peace. 
The Bible commands of us that everything we do in life, whether in word or deed, as believers, we are to do it in the name of the Lord. We are to keep our eyes in Him. We are to raise our eyes to Him. We are to keep our minds in Him always, every moment. We need to be careful, is what Paul is saying. Like the scripture says in Luke 21, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down. I don't know where you're looking to this morning, but I trust that this morning you'll choose to look to God. Would you stand with me? The Bible says that when we allow our eyes and allow our minds to run off with us away from God, it'll... This negative things over our lives will come suddenly like a trap. And coming back will be such a difficult thing for us to do. I hope you agree with me this morning that we need God. I hope it's something wonderful that you are reminded of this morning when you are told that you have been created in the likeness of God. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It's a beautiful thing to know that the Lord decided to share of himself and pour it into us. But let me tell you something. If you're going to represent God in this world, if you're going to emulate whom the Lord is and how he wants us to live, no one can do that. Not one of us can do that unless we keep our eye on him. The only way you can learn if I can use just a simple term, that you can copy somebody. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to copy him. Live as Christ. Do as I do. Walk as I walk. Live as I live. Think as I think. The only way we're going to copy him is by keeping our eyes on him. Not keeping our eyes on the world or those things that draw us away from God. But keeping our eyes on Him. I pray in Jesus' name today. That if any one of us here would be challenged and are going through a stressful time right now that you're beginning to look at other things and loosen up and you recognize that by the grace of God that you would change your mind and receive Paul's advice from his words when he said, listen, look to things above. In this battle that is raging today in Palestine, Hamas, and Israel, People are so involved with the lateral things in this world. And I agree, it's a tragedy what's going on. So much death and hurt and pain. But the church, in spite of it all, is supposed to be looking to him. For he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the author. In the end, our trust is that his will will be done. We are living in prophetic times. Never like now, I believe the church should be looking to God. That's the way he left us in the outskirts of Bethany in the book of Acts. That's the way he wants to find us when he comes back looking to him.